Let me tell you of the days of high adventure. This is Kevin, and this is Six Degrees of Schwarzenegger, the podcast where we take a long, hard look back at some of our favorite action movies from the era of Arnold. Schwarzenegger is the icon of the genre, and we're taking a deep dive into some of these 80s and 90s cult action movies and breaking them all the way down. Hey everybody, welcome back. Uh, we've been away for a little while, but we're back. I'm sitting across from a different human being than the last time you heard me. I want to introduce you all to Eric. Hi everybody, it's it's glad to be here and God, <laughs> am I lucky to be a part of this <laughs> So yeah, hopefully we're, I'm still friendly with John and hopefully we may hear him again on future podcasts, but uh we wanted to relaunch for a new season, hopefully, uh, with a new host. Do you want to tell people anything about yourself yeah, that they I, ought to know? Uh, I mean, I have been watching movies since I was very young, uh, and I got into it through the AFI's original, the first top 100 list. I okay. worked at Blockbuster at the time. Watched every movie on the list, and it completely changed my life. You were like the you were worked at the I worked at the rental place, at the actual blockbuster rental place. That's badass. And I got a bunch of free rentals, and so I actually like watched all these movies for free over the course of one summer. And it was like I've just been watching movies ever since, right? Yeah. So and yeah, that Face was the Off dream was job. The oh, dream job in the age of like Tarantino and oh uh, my god, yeah. And uh, who was my man from Scream? Oh, uh, Randy. Yeah, uh, Randy, the movie, uh, yeah. the, the video rental yeah. kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And oh, yeah, that's right. And uh, yeah, Tarantino worked in a film archive, right? And that's yeah. like, that's how he, that's where he got all of his knowledge is just, yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, it was, it was a crazy time. I mean, VHS was still king. And, oh, hell yeah. And I remember, like, I did, people did legitimately come in and go, how do you rewind DVDs? I got, <laughs> I got that question more than one occasion. That's awesome. So, yeah. Well, I will vouch for your credentials right, as well good. because we've watched a lot of these movies together yes. and you, you've you got a, a good compass of all of the important <laughs> uh, films from this crazy ass genre. So the movie that we're going to be talking about in this series is one, uh, well, I'll just go ahead and spoil it. It's Face Off, 1997, John Woo, uh, fucking action spectacular. One of the very last in my opinion, of like old school action yeah, movies. Yeah, yeah. Um, in my mind, I always had told myself Face Off will be the last movie that we ever do on this podcast because to me, it's sort of like the end of the <laughs> the end of the era. And what there's n almost never been a crazier movie no, than Face I mean, Off in terms of like straight up next level. <laughs> like the plot is wild. Ugh. The performances are nuts. So there's like so much to discuss. Oh yeah. But it was also so it was '97 was like this movie. Uh, Con Air, Batman and Robin came right. out. Eraser was right around this period. Eraser, too, right? I think we it was ninety six. I okay, think. Okay. Okay. So yeah, so Schwarzenegger went and did Batman and Robin. Yeah. Oh. Which was like sort of 
that ended his, his, his coffin. kind of ended his action career to a certain extent. And I mean, he kept trying to preserve it with like the six day and uh, yeah, but he got away from like the old school right. action, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, until he's like everyone, oh, they're all trying to do the Expendables movies, but those are sort of weak. Yeah, there's, they're, uh, they're, those they're are nostalgia vehicles. Yeah, I right? mean, I I remember watching the first Expendables, going, "Why am I watching this movie?" <laughs> and, <laughs> and that never, was like the good one. That was the good one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and then Stallone the same year put Copland out. Oh, and that's like, right. Oh, so Stallone got fat. Yeah. And Schwarzenegger's <laughs> like doing comic book movies and, and, you know. And then went into politics of all things. Yeah, right? Wild. But um, this movie's nuts. So we'll give a little yeah. bit of background about like the people behind the movie. So directed by John Woo, as we mentioned. <laughs> he had just come over from Hong Kong. Yeah. Was this, but this was, was this, um, this was post or pre mission impossible Two. pre mission impossible Two. but okay. he had done a hard target. The yes, Van Damme movie. That's right. And he did broken arrow. Oh, before an, he did this. Another classic. Yeah. Christian Slater as an action star. How can you go that's, wrong? We got to do that on the thing. <laughs> but before that, he had had like some amazing Hong Kong action yeah, flicks. The killer and hard, uh, hard boiled, boiled. Was, oh. nuts. Yeah. Um, so I was definitely like, I think, before I saw this movie, I think I had found my way to see those because I was like the guy who was at Blockbuster every weekend. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I was so looking forward to this movie coming out because I was obsessed with like John Woo and this looks like real a real John Woo movie, you yeah, know, but done yeah, with yeah. like A-list actors and yeah. everything like that. Uh movie was written by a couple of dudes named Mike Werb and Michael Collieri. Um and I listened to their commentary track that's on my Blu-ray. They said basically the seed for the idea was they wanted to do an action movie that was equally about the good guy and the bad guy, which is, you know, you don't get that often. No, so that's interesting enough. interesting premise, yeah. Um, they sold the script apparently in 1991 to Warner Brothers, who was already working on the movie that would become Demolition Man oh. at the time. And they said like they they felt like at that time, Face Off was like set well in the future mm -hmm. and was more of a science fiction. And the and Warner Brothers, I guess, thought the scripts were a little bit too similar to make like right on top of each other oh, from one studio. So they they it got shelved for a while, and then it changed hands a few times or whatever. But um, then it was picked up by like another team of producers and another studio. Interestingly, Michael Douglas was one of the producers on the movie. Really, it was originally supposed to be like. A movie for him to be in. Him and Harrison Ford. <laughs> that would have been a very different movie. I think it was going to be more of just like a thriller than oh, an action flick. So weird. Or whatever, which is interesting. It would have been interesting to see what yeah. it would have been like. But I think they took it and said, like, let's make it present day and more of a thriller and less of like a... But it's hard to do such a weird yeah. premise in the present day. It's interesting because some of the technology that is in the movie is actually really practical now. Like, and I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but when they're 3D printing the ear, like, right. oh, that's like, that's contemporary tech now. Yeah. I mean, it was a advanced in 97, but not yeah. unreasonable. You yeah, know? I like that. Oh, and <laughs> they said the idea of a face surgery was inspired by one of the writer's friends got into a terrible hang gliding accident <laughs> where the surgeons like more or less had to peel his face off and reconstruct oh, wow. the shape of his skull underneath and then lay the skin back over it. Yeah, I've heard of things like That's that. That's fucking wild. That is crazy. And the last guy I'll mention because I thought it was kind of cool was the director of photography is a dude named Oliver Wood mm -hmm. who 
also was the cinematographer on the original three Bourne movies, oh, which wow. were rad. He did Die Hard 2. Uh-huh. He also did Talladega Nights <laughs> and uh, Step Brothers. Oh, really? <laughs> which is the like, DP for... DPs are, have incredible lives, I think, because oh, they're all over the yeah, place. Yeah, they, they can't... It's hard to pigeonhole DPs. It's just like a job for hire, yeah. yeah you're yeah, you're exactly. not necessarily like... Unless you get in with like Steven Spielberg or someone who just keeps rehiring the same guys, right? Yeah, you're like always looking for the next job and it right. might be a great movie or it might be something terrible. That's so funny. When we were doing um, the Beastmaster oh, God. on the podcast, the dude who was the DP for the Beastmaster had been like the DP on all these great Stanley Kubrick flicks. Oh, really? <laughs> like he had been on, the, you know, on The Shining and Barry yeah. Linden yeah. and all this. And it's like, what the <laughs> fuck? And now you're doing The Beastmaster? <laughs> uh, um, I mean, if, hey, look, if it's a paycheck, it's a paycheck. Uh, it's crazy to me. But um, the cast is pretty great in this. Yeah. We had N- Nicolas Cage as Caster Troy slash Sean Archer. Yeah. Uh, he went from like super quirky art house weird guy to... Best actor winner to a like a list action star to like actor for hire with money trouble to now he's like having this renaissance where he's doing a lot of really good movies again. I, his A twenty four comedy um, dream scenario is yeah. coming out soon. It's it's supposed to be amazing. Yeah, and he's had um we saw together what was the we saw Renfield oh Renfield which he was right. good That's in amazing Dracula that unbearable yeah. weight of massive talent yeah. was like really yeah. entertaining. Yeah, I wanted um, to see some, um, Sympathy for the Devil. Yeah. with uh, Joel Kinnaman and I still haven't seen that, but he's I've, got I, it's gotten mixed things. But some people are, like really dig it. He has this awesome looking western that's out where he's like a bad oh, the guy. old man or the no the, no, the old way like, right or uh, no I think I can't remember what it was called. It was something different, but um. He's like a buffalo hunter, and huh. he's got like, it almost seemed like a Moby Dick sort of thing where he's like the Captain Ahab type. Oh. Personally, leading them deeper and deeper into I the wilderness, oh, like I haven't, following a herd of buffalo or something. So it weird looked that awesome. I still haven't, because I, I, he did the one where it was like just John Wick in an old West town. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I didn't see that one. I did, that one got middling reviews, but okay. I hadn't heard about this new one. I'll have to check yeah, that out. I'm okay. fired up because he's always, if nothing else, he's interesting. What oh, was he's the, always interesting to watch. He had the Lovecraft flick. It the, was good. The um uh the the upstream color. No no that's that was the guy from the guys who did uh, primer. It was um, something with color in the title though. It was um oh shoot because uh, I've just been watching. I watched yeah. at least Wonderland for the first time recently. Okay. And uh, we were a friend of mine were trying to decide which. Oh god, it's amazing. Like Five Nights at Freddy has nothing on Willy's Wonderland. <laughs> and um, he did um he did P- that movie Pig. Yeah, it was Pig. awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but he's like cranking them out. And Mandy, did you watch Mandy? Mandy is that shit was wild. What is it? Con. Uh Cosmos, I can't ever pronounce yeah, his name. Yeah, I don't know how his, how his name is pronounced. He did, but he did one of the episodes of Cabinet of Curiosity. The really weird and one. it was so crazy with Peter Weller, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and Eric Andre of all people. I yeah, mean, just, I, thought, I loved that yeah, one. Yeah, it was so good. So anyway, shout out Nick Cage. He's awesome. Yeah. Uh, then we got also John Travolta playing Sean Archer slash Caster Troy, Troy yeah. which was like, you said this was like peak Travolta at the peak of oh, his comeback. Right. This was the high point you probably, could, you could right? You no wrong. I mean, he had done Broken Arrow, which was a huge hit. Phenomenon, which was a terrible movie, but a huge hit. Dude, I, I loved mean, uh, Get Shorty. Get Shorty was a massive Amazing. one. Yeah, I mean. Like, yeah, he was doing work. I, I swear John Travolta, like owes so much to Quentin Tarantino because oh, yeah. Pulp Fiction completely revitalized him and made him relevant again. Yeah, because he's also this icon, of course, for like the old shit. Yeah. Grease and Saturday yeah. Night Fever yeah. and um, the old De Palma flicks, like Blowout, amazing. Um, so yeah, he's in there. We've got Joan Allen playing mm-hmm. Eve Archer. Uh, 
she three-time Oscar-nominated actress. She was in the Bourne movies, amazing. Incredibly underutilized in this yeah. film. She was in Pleasantville. Like she's yeah. had an amazing yeah. career. Yeah. Uh, Dominique Swain is Jamie Archer. This is her first ever movie. Oh, really? I think this is her first ever anything, according to IMDb. I have, I have, I have commentary on her performance, which we'll get to okay. later in the episode. There's a couple. I feel like this was also just the peak of her career. Yeah, it like because I, I don't remember her. She's been working, but nothing yeah. that's like been at this level yeah, of, yeah. of yeah. prestige. Uh, Alessandra Nivola as Pollux Troy, Castro oh, Troy's brother. Right. Yeah, he works a ton. He's always good. The character actor though. I mean, yeah, he's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel like he was the only good thing in that Sopranos movie that they made. It was like, oh, he's given a killer performance and everything else about that movie is completely unnecessary. <laughs> oh, and Gandolfini's kid was pretty good, actually. I, you know, I never saw uh, Saints of... Uh, um, yeah, yeah, that's the one. And yeah. it, this dude, Nivola, was amazing in there and Gandolfini's kid is like actually a pretty wow, good actor. that's pretty cool. And then uh, Gina Gershon. Of course, yeah. Yeah, she was yeah. at her peak as well, I think, in this movie. I So this is a bit of an aside, but she did like a stinger in an episode, sixth season episode of Community, okay. where she played Vince Gilligan's wife. Vince Gilligan, not Vince Gilligan. Vince Gilligan is also doing a character, famously okay. the creator of Breaking Bad. Yeah. And it's just this really strange stinger where she's convincing Vince Gilligan's character to move to L.A. and star in a VHS video game. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's so weird to see her. I, I've not seen her in a million years, and then she shows up. Was that on one of the later seasons? Yeah, like last after, season. Okay, yeah, I, gotta, yeah. I still have to finish out my community because I yeah. was a big fan. Um, but, yeah, she's usually playing, like, the sexy but also edgy, yeah, yeah. like, bitchy woman oh, and, and showgirls or <laughs> bound yeah uh, oh that's right she wasn't bound yeah with brother. jennifer tilly right Hot yeah stuff. yeah um and then lots of other familiar faces which we'll get to as we work our way through the movie um but we should dig in i guess because there's a lot of happening in this plot oh um, my god I'll, I'll run point on the first one while you get your yeah. feet wet here All right so open up with the paramount logo little lullaby type music playing over the opening credits we see Sean Archer, that's Travolta at this point, riding a merry-go-round with his young son. We see the first of many times that he does this weird sort of like thing where he wipes his palm down the front of the person's face. <laughs> it's like apparently a thing within the Archer family. Apparently, yeah, um, which is a little bit creepy and also really unhygienic. Yeah, it's just in the age of COVID, it's like <laughs> terrible. It's just like you get a shiver every time they do it. Um, apparently, that was a John Woo idea okay. that there should be some sort of nonverbal thing within the family. I mean, it's not a bad idea. The problem is, is it's so on the nose. Like the thing had to yeah. do with faces. <laughs> and I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, it's a we'll we'll have plenty of time to. <laughs> So then we got a uh, mustachioed caster oh. Troy. That's Nick Cage at this point. Yeah. He's there sipping on a fast food soda, like a big kahuna burger. Yep. Soda yep. Or whatever. Yep. Yep. He's uh, taking aim with a sniper's rifle. I like this version of Castor with the mustache. Yeah, I know. Like I that. have it in my nose, like rocking a killer stash, man. Yeah. A apparently there was like a nod to the killer uh, thing oh, where, really? where, um, Chow Yun Fat was like had the was wearing like a false mustache and had a sniper rifle and shot a guy. I got to rewatch uh, that movie. I don't remember yeah, that at all. I haven't seen it in way too long. Um, but so Castor shoots Archer, but the bullet passes through him and fatally wounds the son. And Castor seemed to be like slightly bothered. Like I never could have foreseen that that might happen. Yeah, I mean, he seemed like more empathetic than we come to know from the character. Yeah, I'm not sure why he didn't. At this point, go ahead and 
finish the job though and kill exactly and Archer? i have that question all throughout and we'll get to it as we continue <laughs> through this movie but yeah that was like one of the first things like, like he's right there on the ground like now he's yeah he's not on a merry-go-round anymore no it's an like, easy target now. did you bring just one bullet right i know i left him in the car <laughs> but travolta's really overcooking it i feel oh like my he's God. like crawling the way he's dragging around himself and- which reminded me actually in my notes uh of the last scene of the killers where Chow Yun Fat and the female lead, whose name I'm not remember, like they're both been blinded for various reasons. Yeah. She, I think she was blind beforehand, then he's blinded, yeah, yeah. and they're like screaming each other's names and dragging themselves on the ground trying to find each other. Yeah, maybe really it's reminded John me Wu's of that. choices. Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of weird choices made throughout the movie, though, yeah. particularly with the actors who are playing Archer. Yeah. At any yeah. given moment, there's a story that John Woo was apparently like they're on the set filming. John Woo goes to Travolta, and he's like, "Hey, Travolta." you have a child. He's like, how, how would you respond if your child was like really hurt or dying? Oh, and he's okay. like, I, I would hold him on to my chest and, and cry. And he's like, Oh, that's good. Let's do that. <laughs> and I was just like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, that's so weird. Like, yeah, no, that's good. Let's, uh, let's try one like that, guys. Like, what was this? I, I don't know, know what the other options yeah, are. I know. Like, what else do you do? I mean, was Travolta doing a jig and Chow Yun Fat was like, I just don't feel this is right. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Oh, but, um, yeah, I thought that was nuts. But then the then the carousel turns like very yep. sinister. And and I the horse sound effects on the wooden horses <laughs> on the carousel. <laughs> was so bizarre to me because it's not a thing that ever comes up over the course of the rest of the no. movie. <laughs> right. So there's they literally someone, whether it was John Woo or the sound designer was like, I know let's add a horse sound effect to this wooden horse. It makes it more disturbing. Right. It makes unsettling. it even weirder. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, but though we cut to six years six later years on a later. title card, mm-hmm. Archer is deep in thought, looking at all the commendations on the wall in his office. He's like been decorated out the ass. He puts his pistol in a holster, and we see there's like a bunch of other FBI agents there gearing up for action. Tito, mm-hmm. which is, I, I don't know the hierarchy here. I couldn't tell if he's meant to be Archer's like on his boss. same level, or... I think he's probably yeah. the guy in charge of that regional office, and then yeah. Archer's on a different and he's like, group or something. Or But he's like, maybe he's the... Because, yeah, Tito's, I, I agree he's with you, he's like, like the, the division head, agent in charge right, or something. Exactly. And then, yeah. And he's the head of the task force yeah, or whatever, that something like that. Yeah. But that dude was Robert Wisdom, who I recognize as Bunny Colvin from The Wire. Oh, like, really? I oh, love wow. that dude, yeah. He seems to be in the leadership position, has his computer guy pull up Caster Troy's file on the computer, where we see all of his, his like previous crimes. The it was crazy <laughs> shit on there. I love the Did classic. You that and read oh, yeah, the- of course. I took a screenshot out of on my phone. We can read about it. <laughs> But um, I'd like to headshot a Nick Cage. It was like seemed like wild at heart air, yeah. like the crazy wild long I know, hair. It was unreal. Like I, but also I just want to do a shout out to the classic '90s uh, user interface. Like, oh yeah, the way that everything looked like a PlayStation One game. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it was just amazing. Thirty-two bit, sixty-four bit <laughs> graphics rocking. Um, but yeah, so there was a mention of a Pacific Stock Exchange bombing that killed fifteen people to assassinate the Croatian ambassador. We had um, killed an informant with a car bomb. It said, body burned beyond recognition, head separated from body, tattoo on chest helped identify the victim, which I'm like, so he wasn't burned beyond recognition. No, not beyond recognition. And he still, right. you could make the tattoo out on him. Then they had like a picture of a guy on a gurney with a with an oxygen mask on. And I'm like, <laughs> is that just the, the head? <laughs> or like, 
<laughs> I thought he, he had, had, he had a face tattoo. That's why, like, the rest of his body was burned beyond recognition. Elsewhere, though, we see a church choir. They're performing in a large, crowded, non-church space. Up in the rafters, we see Castor, disguised as a priest, planting a bomb. And I get giddy when I see, like, Nick Cage in a priest robe. <laughs> Dude, the best bits like, smoking oh a cigarette and oh. dancing around a bomb. And then we cut back to the FBI office where Archer's frustrated that the local police have no information to provide uh, to his covert anti-terrorism team. So... On the team, we've got Margaret Cho. Mm-hmm. In yeah. a strange, dramatic turn. James Denton, mm-hmm. well, a dude from Desperate Housewives Oh, that's fame. right. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, right. A dude named Ma- Matt Ross, who I recognize from, he was like one of the evil guys in Big Love, the the polygamy show on uh, Yeah, HBO. I remember that show with He was in American Paxton. Psycho. He was, like oh, the, really? he was like the dude who was in love with Patrick. Oh, that was him? Yeah. Oh, my God. I yeah. got to go watch that movie again. And I just learned that he directed Captain Fantastic. Oh, he did. Which I heard was great, but I haven't seen it. I never saw it either. Yeah. yeah. This was, that was like post Lord of the Rings, Viggo Mortensen, Yeah, it was right? like later. Yeah. yeah, within the last few years, I think. Um, so cutting back and forth, we see now Caster setting the timer on the bomb for 264 hours. <laughs> what? Why? <laughs> Why 264 That's hours? 11 days. People. That's a lot of time for the bomb to just be discovered. Right. You know, I know. Sitting there. Especially in a place like the LA Exhibition uh, Hall, right? Yeah. Where it's just like constantly <laughs> filled with people. So back at FBI, Archer's being really tough on his team, like sort of a total prick. Yeah, actually, like an asshole. But I think that's what we're supposed to get is that he's like embittered and everything like that. Well, and he's I think I think the the sense that I got, too, was that he's he's so and they I think they follow up with this in the first encounter with his wife when he gets home is he's been so driven to like, he's almost an Ahab level yeah. kind of obsession with Castor Troy that he's almost lost his humanity. His obsession has taken over. Right. So many of these action movies like have one character or the other that's obsessed yeah. with someone. Yeah. It comes up like over and over. Maybe that's any movie of any genre that you look at that, um, they hone in on that, but it's just a, a recurring theme, especially on the podcast here. Caster, he finishes setting up his bomb. He's very pleased with himself. He starts strutting and dancing <laughs> and like headbanging oh to God. Handel's Messiah. Yeah, and his facial expressions throughout this, all of this. Amazing. The headbanging is oh, like amazing. God. Nick Cage is just a fucking like walking gif in this movie. <laughs> this is like meme. Every frame is a different meme. Amazing. I give him credit though, because he's never like not going for it. Yeah, I agree. Know? Yeah. And that's his whole career. Yeah. He's never yeah. not like he's never been one to to be scared of taking a risk. I mean, the sense that I get with Nick Cage is he just he loves acting. And even yes. when he's taking crappy roles and he knows they're crappy, he just I think he understands how lucky he is to a certain yeah. extent, right? I feel like it I feel like it was Nick Cage that on another podcast John told the story of like some interview with him where he just feels like I'm always like learning and trying to improve my craft in every job, whether it's a huge movie or a small movie or whatever, it's like an opportunity to try to, to further myself as an actor and, you know, break new ground or try something new. And I'm like, okay, that's like a nice way of looking at it as opposed to a lot of elder statesmen who you feel like are just like here to get a paycheck and they don't give a fuck like how quick actually the action world is full of Dolph Lundgren's and, these dudes who are like just a, like a dude for hire. I'll come and be on your set for one week or whatever, yeah, you know, and we'll yeah. straight to video and whatever. And I give Cage credit for just he dials it up every oh, yeah. time, even oh, if yeah. it's a even if it's a 
shitty movie. Yeah, well, I mean, forgive I, me for saying, Nick. I'm sure you're listening. <laughs> yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely, definitely, absolutely is. Nothing. He's better been to waiting do. for this to drop for years, dude. My friend Sam, who we saw, yeah, I met Sam. Uh, what yeah. was the flick? We went to go see the forty or the the anniversary, the remaster of uh, Old Boy. Yeah, we went to go see Old Boy together. That so was, Sam, oh. who's been on the podcast a couple times, shout out Sam. He said he was in New Orleans. And ran into Nick Cage. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I remember and, this story. And I said, was he wearing animal print? Anything? And he said, yes. <laughs> he had like leopard print pants on. How did you know that? And I was like, what else? Or like, you know, or like a leopard print jacket or yeah, something. And I was like, yeah. of course he was wearing yeah. that because he's a wild man. Well, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. Especially, and we'll come to this, I've got a note later, because he's always wearing these crazy stuff, but there's a line, I'm just going to say it like later in the movie, uh-huh. where Gina Gershon's character goes, or no, no, Nick Cage uh, as Sean Archer goes, these are really nice clothes, and then Gina Gershon <laughs> goes, well, yeah, they're yours. <laughs> like, yeah, they probably actually were Nicolas Cage's clothes. He likes the, the gold dragon yeah. uh, cufflinks <laughs> and everything like that. Caster catches the eye of one particularly attractive young woman in the choir, because she drops her sheet music. And Caster swoops in there, picks him up, like creeps around behind her and was whispering pervy shit in her ear. And it's like, ah, oh like tongue God. in her ear and shit. The faces he's making. Oh, then he grabs her ass, ass and it's just like, looks like he's coming. He, yeah, exactly. It looks like his O face. Like, I believe that that actually was Nick Cage's O face. That's one of my new favorite gifts ever. Is oh when he's God. like, just his eyes go insane. I, he opened his eyes wider than I've ever seen him open his <laughs> eyes in any movie and face off. So outside, we see a sign that says it's the L.A. Convention Center, and the sign is advertising the American Bar Association convention is coming soon. So and I think that's what they're t- trying to target. There's also the international. Yes, that is almost certainly what it is. But what's there yeah. currently, I love that I guess there, A, is an international <laughs> choir festival, and B, that is being held <laughs> at the Los Angeles Convention Center. Of course. <laughs> um, now, back at the FBI, Archer, he's reaming out someone on the phone. Mm-hmm. I think the idea is that we're supposed to see these two guys are like, we're supposed to see the guys are very opposite of each other. Like one is just like larger than life and like letting it all hang out. And the other guy's like very buttoned up and tight ass or whatever. Yeah. The writers had said they felt like they needed to make them very opposite so that the audience would have an easier time following along after they switch of like who's who. I mean, I think that makes sense, right? If they were identical characters, then what's the point in the first place? Yeah, right. So then a woman pops in. She says his wife is on the phone. And just then Tito bursts in and he says, we got a call that Castro Troy's brother Pollux booked a private jet out of this small local airport. So uh, Archer says the two Troy brothers are inseparable. They never would be away from each other. He bolts out the door, leaving the wife hanging on hold. Archer says, we got to get an agent on board that plane. I don't know that that could be pulled together fast enough. No. To yeah, make I, it happen, unless they already had people at every airport. Maybe I mean, which but yeah, is but why conceivable. Would, they might. I guess like they, they just thought, had a US, if, they, if they had reports that he was in town, they might be like, we need a team at every airport. I mean, if they had a marshal too, right? Yeah, like maybe yeah. they just diverted her from one flight to to a private flight. That's I guess. true. Yeah. Was now at the airport. There's a couple of goons and a dorky looking guy who are waiting around as Caster arrives. The shit with the trench coat, like, blowing in the oh, wind. Pure John Unbelievable. Woo. Pure John That was, Woo. like, the coolest, like, character <laughs> intro, you know? But then it gets less cool when it cuts to a different angle, and it just looks like the wind is too heavy for his <laughs> silk suit, right? But, yeah, when he gets out of the car, it's just, like... Amazing. It's so, so perfect. So cinematic. I think John Woo said that his idea was, like, the character's, like, 
the really charming devil. Yeah. You know, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But so the goons help Caster with a quick wardrobe change, present him with his little box of goodies. Which the Ooh. contents of which are hilarious. I don't know who came up with that, if that's Nick Cage <laughs> or what, but it's, I saw sunglasses. A different pair of sunglasses different to the pair, ones yeah, that true, he was already wearing. True. There were some miscellaneous pills. Yeah. Joints. Yeah. There was, I think, a vial of cocaine. Yeah. And two separate types of gum. Two different types of gum. There was a knife. Yep. Uh, and he's got all this gold jewelry and like gold <laughs> scorpion. Yeah, oh no, gold scorpion cufflinks and these matching gold 45s like on his, oh, the, behind his back the or whatever. holsters on the back. It's just a, like it's a just, rad character. I mean, the design for Castro Troy and down to the name, like who... Who came up? I would love to know. Did, did like the writers talk about the creation? I, I don't know of how the they name? came up with the names, but there's a story to the names. Oh, that there I'll is. Get to later, yeah. Okay, okay, great. Uh, I'll get okay. to later. Yeah. So Pollux says, "Caster, you're late." He speculates there must have been a problem with the bomb and blames right. a guy named Dietrich. Caster says. There's no problem with the bomb. The casing fit like a condom. <laughs> Which is like such an awkward lie. It's very visual. <laughs> but it was also like, why? I mean, of all of all his hedonism, yeah. does he go with like the technical term for what a condom is? Like, it's like a rubber, right? I mean, yeah. like you would think that he would use some sort of a euphemism for it, but no, yeah. he goes for the technical term. It fits like a Jimmy hat. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But it is a very memorable line. Yeah, I'm rewatching it. I was like, oh, hell yeah. Yeah, I yeah, remember yeah. that. So Pollux then uh, says he went ahead and paid for the jet which seems to upset Caster. He said, we're supposed to let the goons do that stuff since, like, we're so famous but, and I mean, hunted. This is, this is one of the things that I have, like, just as a general note throughout the movie. I remember watching, and going, well, why would you do that? And then 10 seconds later, they actually justify, like, oh, yeah. they made a mistake. Like, they actually explain, no, you shouldn't be doing this. Yeah. And it actually justifies, like, why the FBI. I mean, it's, the script is both simultaneously completely over the top, but also totally self-justified uh -huh. within the context of the universe that they've created. Oh, so one rule we have on this podcast is anytime that someone uses the phrase over the top, oh, okay. the other person, that's the prompt. You got to say like a truck, like a truck. Okay. Like, like a truck, <laughs> like, like, a, truck. A, like a machine, okay. like a truck. <laughs> that uh, was a great episode, by the way. Yeah. We loved off some over the top. Shout out Stallone. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, but so then they walk to the jet. Caster stops to tie Pollux's untied shoe weird but i guess it's just a show that pollux is kind of helpless and caster dotes on him but there's also this thing that this movie is obsessed with these callbacks right yes because we yeah, will see the it. shoe tiring later the face gesture like the hand gesture the um there's there's so many more and we'll we'll hit it's, all of them as it we really go through is because Caster in this moment he calls him bro, and yeah. then that's paid off later that as well. Paid off so as later as I think well, the, right? The, the screenwriters did a great job. There's with, a lot. It's with totally internally consistent. And yeah, like that. Consi yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of mirroring of like the, yeah. the scenes that mirror each other and literal mirrors, which we will get oh, to. Oh shit! So Caster scolds his goons, says that he paid them to protect Pollux from everyone, even himself. One of the goons was Tommy Flanagan. Mm -hmm. the, oh, yes. Um, his nickname is the Glasgow Grin. Mm -hmm. Whatever. He's got the, the he's Scottish got the scar. man with the scars on yeah. his face. He was in Braveheart. Braveheart is where he got to put on the map. Yeah. And he was in the game, I remember. Right. And he was in Gladiator. That's right. Yep. And he had a big role in Sons of Anarchy. Yep. Um, but yeah, just a very recognizable face, especially yep. for like guys movies. Or yeah. Whatever. Oh, yeah. No, she's a guys, guys character actor, right? Like, yeah. You don't forget him because you've seen everything that he's been yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. Just because he's in every action movie. Now, 
Caster taunts them with like a big wad of cash that was in this gold dragon money clip. Right. I did. I'm just like, I didn't understand what that was about. Okay. Yeah. Cause I didn't either. And I, <laughs> I watched it a couple of times. Like, did I miss something? Maybe it was like, I was going to give you this money, but now you don't get it. I yeah. don't, I don't know. That was like the, almost the implication, but yeah. I really don't know. No, I don't know. But then that, that wad of money shows up later in the movie. Um, yeah. Right. But it couldn't have been the same. No, exactly. So it's like, I was like, I don't, okay. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, but, now, Castor then chuckles. He warns the goons to stay away from downtown on the 18th. It's going to be smoggy. <laughs> he says. Well, that syncs up with the date of the Bar Association yes. convention or whatever. Right. And they do explain, like, uh, like you wonder, like, why is he being so mindlessly evil? But even then, they later in the movie, it's like this one throwaway line. They explain There's why. Supreme Court justices there yeah, or whatever yeah, that were going to be murdered. Right. And it's just like some organization that has hired him. Like some extremist militia Exactly. Or yeah. yeah. And it's like, wow. oh, my God. I mean, they, they really thought about all of this stuff. No, I can see why the script kept getting kicked around, but it wouldn't die. Right. Like, right. they're like, no, this is good. Yeah, yeah. We just got to exactly. figure out how to make how it. How to make it. So... Caster gets on the jet. He's immediately getting obnoxious with the flight attendant. Like, he's like, let's go, let's go. I'm bored. Let's go. <laughs> One of my like, favorite lines asshole. ever. What is coming up? The, I can eat a peach for hours. <laughs> <laughs> well, he sees this attractive flight attendant. He switches to sexual harassment yeah. mode. Oh, a peach. Yeah. <laughs> like, what a creep. Jesus, it's so yeah. over. You guys are sitting on his oh, lap. It's so ridiculous. The flight attendant seems to be into it. Yeah. Uh, he says, if I were to send you flowers, where would no, I... scratch that. <laughs> scratch that. Let me rephrase. Let me rephrase. That's right. If I were to let you suck my tongue, <laughs> would you be grateful? That's just so gross. It is. Even it as is. like a guy who likes, you know, <laughs> getting weird. Like, that's just so gross. I think I was probably would have been more, thought it was seemed cooler when I was like 16. Oh, no, I definitely... I do now. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But Pollux seems... That he's horny, both horny and impressed at his brother's antics. And then that's exactly what happens. And uh, it, he sticks his tongue out in the flight attendant like, like goes for sucks it. Sucks on his tongue. And it, it raised the question of like, what is the relationship between Pollux and Castor, right? I mean, like yeah, they don't get yeah. in too much detail. Pollux seems to like live vicariously through Castor's through Castor, antics. yeah. yeah. Um, and then they, they Caster completely takes advantage of him, though, right? And there's yeah, this, he's a bully kind of to him. Yeah, and there's like for all of the plots in this movie, that was a subplot that I actually would have really liked to see. Is, I think there was a lot in the script that got axed out to hear the edit, the, the the writers talk. Oh, about interesting. It. Um, but you know the movie was long as fuck. Yeah, oh, and two they, and had, half they hours. had to start losing yeah. scenes to yeah. get it down. I think it was, yeah, they said it was going to come out while they were in prison. Oh, I can't, I can't wait to get to the prison. <laughs> yeah, we got to get, I'm going to put the pedal to the metal. So, <laughs> so now the jet begins taxiing and all of a sudden there's just cop cars everywhere. everywhere. They're everywhere. Where do they all come from? Unless a significant <laughs> amount of time passed or maybe it did. Like LA traffic's a bitch. Yeah. Maybe it took them a long, maybe it took them hours from the last time we saw yeah maybe maybe to get I mean, out there. we don't i mean like i don't even know i guess they were i don't even know what maybe were they at a private airfield it's, it's not they really filmed established it like in barstow which is way the oh, fuck barstow out. was way out there yeah that's where they filmed i don't know if that's where i don't know if it's supposed to be well, somewhere more in town to yeah Los i mean Angeles, let's assume that it is so getting from the yeah, LA convention center to, to barstow yeah then i guess i can see that right yeah. they get a lot of the local pd to rally so now caster uh he runs to the cockpit to see what's going on Archer's driving one of those commonplace FBI Humvees. <laughs> you know, they're is, everywhere. Dime a dozen. Is going head to head with the jet on the runway. Those fucking Humvees were everywhere in the 90s I action remember. movies, though. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
I, I, I dove into Humvees. Is <laughs> this the high mobility multi-purpose wheeled vehicle? <laughs> I didn't know that that was an acronym Humvee for short. Um, and then it was known as the Hummer H1, like on mm-hmm. the civilian market. Mm-hmm. But we have Schwarzenegger to thank for the Hummer. Mm-hmm. It was the vehicle that was sold exclusively to the military until Arnold apparently like saw one and was in love with it. It was like, I need this. He contacted the manufacturer and was like, you got to make these available to the public. And they were like, oh, Okay, so like two years later, they put him out there. Schwarzenegger got the first one ever off the oh, assembly wow. line. Uh, he was in hum- Hummer commercials yeah. and everything like that. He made him stylish, and they were like in The Rock and Gone with 60 yep. Seconds yep. and a yep. Broken Arrow, I think. like They were everywhere. They were, yeah, there was like a whole caravan flex. of Humvees and Broken Arrow, I think. Yeah, I think yeah. so. They were all driving them. Mm-hmm. Um, so now the flight attendant, she identifies herself as FBI, uh, Pollux just immediately chucks his briefcase at her. <laughs> uh, I'm slightly now wondering why was she making out with Caster in, instead of just pulling her gun yep. and be like, you're under arrest. I, I got Caster and Pollux right next to each other. I can, I got them both pinned down. So I kind of like, she was outnumbered because like she was two against one. Right. right. And I, the, the pilot obviously wasn't in on it. That's another question. That I'm like, but why would you put a real pilot on this plane? Well, that is it. Yeah. Why that's would a, it not just be another agent? Yeah, that's a good We're question. We're not letting this plane take off. Yeah, yeah. That's right? a really good question. Yeah, I don't know. It's not clear. <laughs> Suffice it to say she doesn't last long. This is true. <laughs> Pollux then punches the, the FBI woman out yeah. while Castor puts a gun to the pilot's head and tells him to fly. Fly, bitch. <laughs> this is one of my favorite lines. There's so many good lines. I love that shit. Now, Archer seems prepared to drive himself and Tito... And in, in right into the jet. Then he sees, though, that Castor's got the FBI woman hostage. But it's like, I don't know how that affects your decision. Right, exactly. Was she going to survive if she wasn't being held hostage? Or, I mean, <laughs> she's not a civilian. No, she's not. She's like an agent. She's signed she, up for she this. She went undercover on the plane. I think she's accepting the, the risk. But it's her, though, and he doesn't care about the pilot at all right no. who as far as i'm God aware is like a complete innocent yeah. right he's the civilian but also like his boss slash co-worker is in this yeah. Humvee and like there's that old saying whether the vase hits the rock or the rock hits the vase it's going to be bad for the vase i yeah. feel like that this is a similar situation <laughs> so archer he veers off it whips a u-turn uh all the vehicles start to box the jet in yeah caster opens the door and taunting Archer and shoots the FBI woman and tosses her out. Brutal fall. I mean, I will, I'll be honest. I appreciate that. They never like, they never back off of Castor Troy. Like he is brutal and he has no problems killing anybody over the course of the whole movie. Right. Like, yeah. And that was why it was so weird at the beginning where he had that moment of empathy for accidentally killing. Oops. I didn't realize that (laughs) that the kid might catch a stray bullet. (laughs) And he again though he looked like he was coming when he shot her. Yeah, like, I know. Like he really gets off on this shit. Yeah. So Caster then flashes this little grin and shrugs, which is another amazing gift. Oh my god. Uh, Archer stops the Humvee and commandeers a I think civilian helicopter. It's definitely not. It, it a, wasn't like, marked. It looked like a traffic helicopter. Maybe they would. Maybe the FBI would not have. Mark helicopter. I don't know if they would have an undercover helicopter. I don't know if that's a thing. Honestly, I don't know. it might be. I mean, I don't know. So but f- yeah, but Archer knows how to fly a helicopter. They never explain why, yeah. but I mean, you know, why not? So yeah, Caster then tells the pilot again, like take off, whatever. Yeah. Archer has caught up to the jet and he's more or less like landing on the tail of the, which helico- is a really cool moment. Yeah. Yeah. 
I liked it. It was very also reminiscent of Die Hard 2. Yeah. The yeah. similar little gag. Yeah. Castro shoots at the helicopter <laughs> to no avail, while Tito commands everyone to follow Archer's lead. Now, Archer maneuvers the helicopter around. He starts shooting at the jet engines. So not only is he a helicopter pilot, but he's an amazing <laughs> helicopter pilot. He can fly this thing like backwards with one hand while he's shooting with the other. Which I'm pretty sure you can't fly a helicopter one-handed. Like, don't you have to I control? Don't, I feel like, yes, you're right. Yeah. I don't know that anyone could do that. Right. <laughs> but certainly right. not a guy who's like, at best... He's maybe like a weekend. Yeah. Once a month, I go and like keep he's my a pilot. hobbyist helicopter yeah, he's a pilot. Hobbyist. Yeah. So he shoots out the engine to the jet, though. The engine blows up. <laughs> Caster asked the pilot, and it was a great delivery. What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> the pilot tells Caster, we can't take off. And a frustrated Caster, he shoots him. Then starts steering the jet, crashes it right into a hangar. Like the, he was aiming for it. The practical explosions throughout this movie are awesome. Yes. I mean, I love, I, I, that's one of the things that I love about the 80s and 90s. If there's going to be an explosion in the movie, it has oh, yeah. to be practical, right? Yeah. And this so it was epic. Epic. Every, everything exploded in this movie. Like peak explosion. Amazing. There's always so many sparks flying. Oh, well, he's like though, fireworks thing, going yeah. everywhere. I don't even think that crash, that crash, I don't know that that's survivable no. for a guy just <laughs> standing in the cockpit. Right through the windshield. Like you're not buckled in or anything. You're, th you're getting like slammed around the inside oh. of the Oh my bed. god. But so the police they set up a perimeter outside the hangar. Caster comes flying out of the open door like a bat out of hell, shooting with both hands. Dual wielding dive. Classic Total John boss Lou. move. Yeah. He's hitting several cops. He's amazing. <laughs> Pollux much more awkwardly pokes his head out, starts shooting with a submachine gun. Archer leaps up on the roof of a police car. He starts shooting. Reckless move. Well done. Yeah. Caster reloads, shoots some more, uh, blowing one FBI dude's ear off. Which I want to call out. Like, when you watch, you're like, why did they show that? But then they yeah. justify why they showed it later. And like, oh, wow. That was a wild gag, too. Yeah. Like, holy shit. That yeah, was nasty. No, it, was, it was good. Um, now, FBI agent Wanda, that's Margaret Cho, she busts out some kung fu. Yes. Uh -huh. uh, kicks Pollux's ass. Mm -hmm. The first of all, it's going to be a lot of bad stunt doubling yes. in this movie as Pollux's stunt <laughs> double just was nothing like the dude. I want to call it at one point, uh, Caster shoots a stunt double with a shotgun and you can full on see the wire yeah. that the guy <laughs> yeah. is being held from. It was still like it was a, a cool gag. Yeah. But the fact that you can see the wires kind of ruins it. Completely undermined bit. it. Even yeah. when he's like running in, you can see the wires already like trailing off his but, back or but whatever. But here's the thing like, even in 97 watching this, I would have noticed something like that. And I wonder if like in the remaster to digital, it just became more apparent. I think. I think that's the case with a lot of these action movies from yeah. the 90s. They could now cheat that they're in a HD, lot. Yeah. You can really see a lot of like the cracks in the foundation yeah, or whatever. Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. Like it's all held together with like matchsticks and marshmallows. So Caster sees now that they've got Pollux in handcuffs. So he reluctantly abandons him. Caster goes to hide while Archer orders the cops to search the hangar. Archer finds Caster in an area where it seems like they're testing jet engines or some shit, what like a this? wind tunnel. Where is this exactly? Like, I don't know any airplane hangar that has an entire functioning wind tunnel yeah, in it right? as well. It's so weird. So Caster loudly reloads his guns. Yes. Where to be well, well audible. Yes. Right. He kills another random cop. Uh, Archer saves another FBI agent from getting killed. 
I don't know how these other guys like got in the room so fast or whatever, but Archer and Caster, they exchange an incredible amount of gunfire. Mm-hmm. They're both like having to reload. <laughs> <laughs> Caster reloads, starts shooting again, but it's got the great John Woo shit, like yes. the choreography. There's a lot of diving around and like doing somersaults and spinning. Unnecessary uh, moves. And yeah, this is a note that I wrote down is like, when you watch a John Woo movie, there is no mistaking that it is a John Woo movie. Oh, yeah. Right? I, I feel like a lot of people copy that now, but especially back in this day, like no one else is no doing it like did this. That. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I loved it, though. So Caster, he kills another random cop. And in the commotion, the, the jet engine gets turned on. Caster and Archer, they wind up with guns to each other's heads. While each are boasting that the other one only has one bullet left instead of just pulling we know the trigger. Each other's guns. Like, why didn't you not pull the trigger? <laughs> Especially Caster, who isn't bound by any sort of like no. ethics or laws <laughs> that would make it where you shouldn't just kill a guy for no reason. But but I also feel like Archer's so like obsessed. He's killed how many cops yeah. already? Like and he had the gun like right up against his throat. This is something a note that comes up over the course of the movie for me. Yeah. There are so many points where Caster Troy could have killed Sean Archer. I mean, it's just not, not yeah. even he even knows what his address is. Right. Yes. <laughs> you know, but it's just like he's like uh, he's like the Joker to Sean Archer's Batman. The Joker doesn't want to kill Batman. He just wants to antagonize him. He just wants him. to antagonize him. It's like his best <laughs> friend in his perverse cosmology. You know, well, it would have made for like a short ass movie, though. Yeah. If they <laughs> killed it, they wanted to kill the other one right now. <laughs> yeah. They both had plot armor at this point. Now they shift position into like a Mexican standoff, Mm -hmm. circling each other. Archer says, you know, I don't care if I live or die. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't, we haven't really been exposed to like his family situation yet. Yeah. Yeah. But him going kamikaze would be like a pretty shitty thing to do to his remaining family. Yes. Which we do meet very shortly. Yeah. But now we have seen, I think enough already to know that Archer is like just obsessed with catching him. Yes. Uh, So... Who knows? But Caster starts taunting Archer, telling him you should join us, become a terrorist for hire, blow some shit up. It's more fun. (laughs) (laughs) And there's like the weird, like, shut the fuck up. You watch your fucking mouth. (laughs) Yo, that's right. And that comes back up too. Yeah. Cage has this like very sing songy delivery of of dialogue. Even his whole career, I think. Well, that's true. Yeah. He said a thing at some point on one of the interviews of The Rock, just that he. Just had this fascination with delivering his lines like in a sort of rhythmic delivery. Oh, interesting. Like not iambic pentameter, but something yeah. like that, you know? Yeah. Like it just yeah. made it more uh, interesting, I guess. But Caster says, you know, hey, there's a bomb in the city, and if you let me go, I'll tell you where it is. Archer doesn't believe him, but Caster says that Archer wouldn't know, you know, you wouldn't know what to do with yourself. Uh, if I was behind bars, you'd drive your wife and daughter crazy. Yeah. He is very plugged in on the ins and outs of Archer's life. This is why it's just like, if you really wanted to kill this guy, you could have done it at this point. Now, then he starts making sexual remarks about the daughter, Jamie, who he calls Janie, which I thought was a gag at first, but it also pays off later on in the movie. I don't know how Archer isn't shooting this guy. It's it is it is really bizarre to me that they spend so much time establishing his Ahab level obsession, but then because the plot needs it to, he He's doesn't just kill him at any ten point. Cops. Right. No one's going to ask any questions if you. No shoot one is going to ask any questions. But Castor's getting like nasty talking about is she getting ripe yet? <laughs> you're a oh little God, peach. It's so gross. <laughs> and with Archer 
hopefully rattled. Caster pulls the trigger, but it turns out he was already out of bullets. Um, but it would have worked, I think. Like, he had the drop on yeah, him. Yeah. Yeah. But I just want to call out here that it drives me crazy in Hollywood that they don't understand how semi-automatic weapons work. If you fired your last round, the chamber doesn't reclose again like you're going to fire another oh, round. You're right. It stays open. So yeah. the fact that it, like, doesn't fire... Maybe it just jammed. Maybe them. it was, like, a misfire or something, but yeah. I'm also, like, overthinking it right now. No, yeah, we, we just had to believe it Right, in the you moment. just have to accept <laughs> it in that moment. Um but now Caster switches over to being like a sort of sniveling yeah. like character. Like, oh, please, Mr. <laughs> Policeman, don't shoot me. Well, he's just like such an odd turn. <laughs> yeah. He like dropping to his knees and yeah. he's begging for mercy while he's secretly like drawing this knife out of from behind his back. Then Caster switches it up again. Now begging Archer to shoot him and starts singing that <laughs> song, which I thought must be a real song. But after an exhaustive search, it said it was just like a Nick Cage oh, improv. A Nick Cage original. Wow. Yeah. Just some jingle that Cage came up with, <laughs> you know. But now Caster makes his move with the knife, but Archer just immediately kicks it away. And he kicks Caster in front of the jet engine exhaust. Archer somehow has a knowledge of how to work the control right. panel. For the thing, because he hits a button or two and the and the jet engine starts really blowing. I feel like he's gone from like, I'll I'll avoid killing him at any cost to let me try to make sure this kills him, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, in like right. no time. So Caster gets blown down the wind tunnel and slams into this fencing down at the end. There was one great shot that I don't know how they did the close up of like Cage's face when he's flying oh, through the yeah, air. And I'm yeah. like, damn, that looks cool. I don't know how they did it. It was dope as mm. hell. But now Tito has arrived. They run to check on Caster. He appears to be dead. But we reckon he's probably not. We know that he's not. <laughs> I know. I don't understand why they went with the he's dead route, but that's fine. I mean, it. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll talk we'll, about we'll it. We'll get, get there. We'll get I don't to know. It. Yeah. Maybe, yeah, yeah. So later on, Archer is returned home to find his wife, Eve, that's Joan Allen, mm -hmm. and the daughter, Jamie, Dominique Swain, they're arguing. Turns out that Jamie's a little junior goth, Yep. and she was suspended from school for fighting with someone who made fun of her look. Which she chose to wear, by the way. Yeah. I mean, this wasn't like, and oh my God, the, the makeup on this girl is, it was like the makeup artist didn't really know what a goth was yeah. and like had someone explain to her what a goth was yeah. and then did her best interpretation of it. It was a weird, <laughs> the whole, the vibe was weird when she turned around. It was like that extreme close up of her eyes oh, yeah, with the yeah. makeup and like the music was sort of like a lullaby right, or something right. almost. I mean, I don't know if they were trying to commentary on the loss of innocence or whatnot, but yeah. it was strange. But 15 year old Kevin, when I was watching that movie, when it came out was like, way into Dominique Oh, Swain. really? I thought she was, must be the hottest girl I've ever seen oh, at that time. Oh, wow. Yeah. So Archer tries talking to Jamie, says it's hard to know who you are these days because you change your look all the time Which or whatever. Which is definitely how you want to approach your 15-year-old daughter is by When you're like of... an absentee father. <laughs> well, that's true. Well. That's, okay, like, that's fair. Yeah. But Jamie throws it back in his face, right? And yeah. is like, how would you know? You're never you're here. You're never here. You know, which yeah. is fair. Um, I think she's got a point. But Eve gets mad now at Archer because she tried to call him earlier about her having to work later and she couldn't reach him. She's got like big wet blanket vibes and grandmotherly like fashion <laughs> or like her whole look, her hair, everything. Yeah. Archer tells her, I got Caster Troy, the guy who killed our son. 
He promises now it's over. I'll be more present. I'm going to take a desk job. Yeah, I'm going to do whatever it takes to fix all the damage I've done by being obsessed with this. Even Archer, they hug it out. Seems like all will be well. And then he blasts her with that the Archer family face the swipe. Fa- yeah, the face swipe, right. It's, everything is, is reset now. <laughs> so, sometime later, uh, Archer returns to the FBI office. He gets an ovation from all the other agents. His assistants are presenting him with a bottle of champagne from the CIA. That is a thing, I guess. Apparently. Archer yeah. kills the mood, saying maybe we should drink to all the agents that were killed, like, which is actually a good point. Well, I also <laughs> love the agents' name, like, Pincus, Pincus, and Janelli. Of course, <laughs> like, those were probably like crew members. Yeah, I'm absurd that they were, but it's hilarious. Here, John Travolta go. What about Pincus? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I do think it's strange. That everyone is like so happy yeah. after they lost a lot of colleagues. Oh yeah, or yeah, yeah. Like, oh, odd. Vibe I mean, ever. his reaction is way more realistic. I think so. than everybody else's in the office. Now Archer goes in his office. He marks the Castor Troy file case closed which is apparently on that's mac a, command o <laughs> that's how it works uh, still sad though about the death of his son there was another crazy castro troy exploit on the on the screen at that time yeah said like a plane he hijacked a plane to steal money from a wealthy banker and he cut the dude's arms, arms off, off shot him in the head and threw him out of the plane yep that was hilarious that I was like on some one. shit like that would it was um dark knight rises shit like yeah perhaps he's wondering why you would shoot a man <laughs> i just <laughs> throwing him out of an airplane i love that the district description actually makes a point of saying that his arms were cut off before being shot in the- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just also like you guys are making money. Uh, do yeah. you, why are you? Where's all the money going, Troy's? Yeah, I know, I know. But so Tito enters, says that Special Ops wants to speak with him. Uh, enter Miller, mm-hmm. the CCH, CCH pounder, pounder, very yeah. recognizable. She's an awesome actress, yep. phenomenal actor. She presents Archer with a floppy disk. Yep, a it's, zip drive, not a floppy oh, disk. Was it a zip? It was a zip drive. It was recovered yep. from Pollux's briefcase. It's a blast from the past. Yeah. Ancient technology. Oh, my God. It has uh, the schematics for a nerve gas bomb. There's also just the generic weird sort of like hacker shit <laughs> animation. <laughs> it reminded me of like Dennis Nedry and Jurassic Park. Oh, like, yeah. You didn't say the magic word. Like, so she says the fallout will be a tad worse than Gulf War syndrome from the bomb. Uh, I, she gave a total. I feel like she said it was like level of... Uh, square mile or something right, crazy so, like that yeah but so i guess like the bomb itself was massive but then yeah and like, it was like nerve gas from the or nerve whatever gas, yeah yeah so, so they were laying it on thick that this thing is like deadly so archer's pissed wants to talk to pollux elsewhere we got pollux troy being interrogated but he's claiming there is no bomb pollux says he's not going to say another word until he gets to see caster then he like sees archer looking through the window or whatever sort of waves at him Archer's boss walks in, and it's Wade Gustafson from Fargo. Yep. <laughs> uh, that was William H. Macy's father-in-law. Yep, yep. Uh, and he's not that. the only actor from Fargo who's in this no, movie. No, absolutely. Archer's boss then, for some reason, doesn't seem very concerned about the threat of a bomb. He's like, oh, give it a rest. Yeah. <laughs> you got Castor, just go home. <laughs> like, that's, that, that's the FBI director right, telling right. him, like, don't worry about don't it. Don't worry just about it. Just go home. <laughs> I'm sure he was lying. Why would this guy ever tell the truth? So Archer's pissed. He storms off. Miller follows Archer and tells him we could try putting an undercover agent in the cell with Pollux and maybe he'll let something slip. Archer says that's never going to work. The only person he would ever talk to is Castor. Mm -hmm. Uh, Miller says, well, there might be another option. 
Oh, plot thickens. There we go. That's where we will leave you for this week <laughs> as uh, as face off as the face off world turns. But the plot is thickened oh. up nicely now. Already off to a great start, though. I yeah. mean, that opening action sequence was just so much fun with yes. the plane and the cars and the. I mean, the whole thing. All the John Woo shit that we oh, want to see in a John, John Woo movie. Yeah. So. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Eric, for coming on Pleasure. the journey and taking up the, the Six Degrees of Schwarzenegger mantle. Um, we will be back next week with something fresh, a little more face-off talk. <laughs> uh, until then. Don't lose your face. Don't lose your face.